if, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Words from Proverbs 2. How does Solomon encourage us to seek insight as though it's what? Silver, in this case. Hidden treasure. How would you search for hidden treasure? I'd be, I'd be consumed, consumed right? I'd be all in if I suspected that there was hidden treasure. I think of wild-eyed, wild-haired Nicholas Cage in those national treasure movies, right? Like some people might think I'm crazy, but I don't care because I know the value of, of what it is I seek. Now, if you're listening closely, what did Solomon say you will find if you seek treasure? In, in that way. way. If you, you seek insight, insight in that way. way. What do you say you would find? The fear of the Lord and, and the knowledge of God. God. Talk, Talk about, about treasure. treasure. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6. Starting in verse 1. Jesus the King continues. And he's going to speak to us not only of, of knowledge of God but a relationship with him. You say, what kind of relationship does he speak of? Well, anytime you read scripture, you want to look for words that are repeated over and over and over again. And in these 18 verses we're going to cover today, the word seen comes up a lot. The word reward comes up a lot. The word secret comes up a lot. But the one that jumps out at me more than any other, you know what it is if you've read it? Father. Ten times in these 18 verses, Jesus refers to God as the Father. Nine times as your Father. One time as our Father. You talk about hidden treasure. When we realize that the believer in Jesus Christ has God, not only as Lord, not only as Master, but as Father, then... Then, then we're, we're in a place, place for his heart and, and his, his ways, ways, his will to consume us. It's then that we're prepared, as some have well put it, to live for an audience of one. To live for an audience of one. I want to ask us a question. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do, do we as believers even begin to realize the, the treasure we have in our lives to be able to to call the almighty creator god father this is crucial because there's a struggle inside the the human life even the life of the believer as the flesh and the the holy spirit battle one another what is that struggle jesus jumps into it in matthew 6 verse 1 he says beware Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing righteousness in order to be seen by them. By who? 
other people. The other people in church, the other people in our neighborhood, the other, other pre- people that we live around. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Why does he say that's a snare? Because, listen, if I rise on the praises of others, I will also fall on their criticism. And if that's what I'm living for, my walk with the Father will go no higher than the whims and wishes of the people around me that I'm trying so desperately to please. As Jesus talks about giving, praying, and fasting in these verses, I believe he's not primarily focused on the what. He's not primarily focused on the how. You know what he's primarily focused on? The why. Why do you do these things? You remember what he said to Samuel, the Lord, in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So at the beginning of 2023, a time of year where a lot of us are thinking about what kind of changes do I desire in my life, I want to pass on three that King Jesus would have for his followers. Number one, I want to give and serve only for my father's eyes. And as we go through these three different things, you're going to see there's a pattern. Jesus will say, not like this, like this. Not like this, like this. We're going to start with the not like this, and I want to give only for my father's eyes. Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. This, This is quite a scene. I don't know if it's hyperbole or if... People were actually doing this, but can you imagine it? They, they go down where all the people are and the offering boxes are, and they say, hey, you got a trumpet? I'm about to make a really big offering. Could you just start? That way everybody will look this way, and then I'll, I'll drop it in. Obviously, there's no trumpets here today, but uh, there, there's ways to get this accomplished today. Perhaps an offering plate comes around, and maybe we hang that check out just in front of the other person next to us. You know, that's a big one. Maybe, maybe we share on Facebook so that others will see what we've done. It says, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Hypocrites, what are they? They're, they're play actors. They, they, they were actors in plays. They would wear masks pretending to be something they're not. What were they pretending? They're pretending they're doing this for God and the needy. What's the truth? They just like other people seeing them. Verse 2, it says right here, that they may be praised by Others, that was their why. That's what they were going for. And Jesus says a phrase that comes up over and over in this passage. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's that mean? It means if we serve or give for the praise of people, we'll often get it. We'll get what we're after. But Jesus says the trouble is that's all the reward you got coming. You got what you were seeking, that's it. He says, not like that, but like this. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And here's the counterbalance to they have received their reward. Listen to this. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, those of you who have been riding with us through the Sermon on the Mount are saying, wait a second, how does this fit in with Matthew chapter 516? He told us to be the light of the world, right? What did he say? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Is Jesus contradicting himself? No, no. I like the way... One commentator put it here. He said, although disciples are to be seen doing good works, they must not do good works in order to be seen. Back to the why. And it leads us to a question. If you think of this as a multiple choice question on a test, why do I serve and give and what do I hope to get out of it? Answer A, for the praise of others. Answer B, for the reward of the Father. Here's the warning. There is no C, all of the above. We each have to make our choice. Why do I serve? Why do I give? I want to give only for my Father's eyes. Second one, I want to pray only for my Father's ears. Not like this, Jesus says. Verse 5, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Noticing a pattern here? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, we've got to unpack this in light of Scripture, right? Is it standing and praying that he's against, like the, the posture of standing? Is that what he's hammering here? No. You, you go through the Bible, there's lots of postures of, of prayer. We often think of knelt down with our eyes closed like this, but there's standing, there's laying prostrate. In 1 Samuel 1, you see godly Hannah when she's in the temple praying for a son. And Levi thinks she's drunk. Verse 26, she says, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my, my Lord, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Was, was she wicked in that? Oh, in fact, Jesus even speaks of standing and praying. Mark eleven twenty five. whenever you stand praying, forgive. He assumes they're going to do it, right? Now, what about this one? Is it pray, praying in the presence of other people that, that Jesus is against here? If so, as one commentator put it, the early church missed the message. Think about the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1, 120 believers gathered in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. What were they doing there together? Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Not only that example, what was the early church devoted to as a community? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and what? And the prayers, right? So we don't hear Jesus' words and say, well, better not pray at my small group. 
Uh, better not show up at that prayer meeting at church on Wednesday at 6.30. He's after the why, right? Not like this, but like this. Verse 6, when you pray, <clears throat> go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. We'll talk about that more in a moment. How does that play out in the life of a believer who sometimes prays privately and sometimes prays publicly? But if you have the right motive, what's it say? Again, your father who sees in secret will reward you. This leads us to some questions. If you find yourself ever praying in public, like, like I do, whether you're in a small group or just part of uh, your family or, or wherever you pray with others, the question is why? Why do we pray in public? Why do we pray the way we pray in public? I think it was Lehman Strauss that said some people have like a, a different language they shift into. It's almost as though they swallow a steeple when they start praying. They talk one way and you start praying. And, and if that's us, the question is, why do I do that? It, is, is it for my father or am I looking for the people around me? Mm, yes. Amen. I just love that when they, when they love the way I pray. And we got to be careful here because I'm not encouraging you to go around judging other believers in the church. What I am encouraging is that each of us go before God and say, why do I pray? Why do I pray the way I pray? Now, here's the good test I was talking about. D.A. Carson gave this public, private I think this is a good litmus test. He said, the person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he is less interested in God's approval than in human praise. I think he's probably hitting the mark there, and it leads us to a question. Do I pray for the Father's ears only, or is it to impress those around me? He has another not like this here. Verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, a couple of questions in context of Scripture here, too. Is it repeated prayer that Jesus is against? No. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus himself was praying to the Father. Matthew 26, 44 says, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Did Jesus contradict himself? No. Let me ask another question. Is it persistence in prayer that he's against? No. What, what do we read in Luke 18, 1? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Be persistent in prayer. So what is he against here primarily? It is the repetition of, of empty phrases. When we put more of a focus on, on our words, almost like we think we're doing some kind of spell or incantation to convince Almighty God to bend himself to our will by my, my little formula here to manipulate God. That's what he's against. Instead of what? Trusting him as our father. How do we know this? Verse 8, he says, Do not be like them, for your father 
knows what you need before you ask him. I would add this. Not only does he know your needs, he cares very deeply about the needs of his children. This was brought home for me this week. Had some downtime and got to reading some of the Chronicles of Narnia again. The magician's nephew, a little boy named Diggory, went to Narnia and met Aslan, the, the mighty lion who, of course, symbolizes Jesus. And also shows us something of the Father's heart because Jesus came to reveal the Father, right? And this little boy left our world, went to Narnia, saw Aslan. And this little boy was, was torn because his mother was back in our world dying and there was fruit in Narnia that would heal her. And he wanted badly to ask Aslan to take some of that fruit back. But Aslan's a lion. And, and even though Diggory has great admiration for him, there's also this healthy fear. And Aslan asked Diggory to do something for him. I want you to read or just listen what C.S. Lewis said here. When Aslan asked Diggory to do something, Diggory had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make bargains with. When he had said yes, he thought of his mother and he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away and a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes and he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. There was such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. See, not only does God know, he cares deeply about the needs you have as his child. So what's the application of that? Well, God knows, so don't pray. That's not the way Jesus went with it. He said, not like this, but like this. And as he enters into what we call the Lord's Prayer, I want you to notice the focus on the Father. Verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The holiness of the Father. Then he goes on to talk about the Father's kingdom and the Father's will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he goes on to talk about the Father's provision. First, physically, give us this day our daily bread. Then spiritually, his grace. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And finally, the Father's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So a question here, when I pray, when you pray, is it to manipulate God? Or to express trust in him as my loving and sovereign father? 
Next two verses, 14 and 15, I call an uncomfortable interlude. Maybe one we wish Jesus hadn't said, but he did. And the idea is this. When we ask God's forgiveness, it ought to impact the way we treat others in our lives. I want you to listen to Jesus' words in 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now you can see why, why some may wish that was not there. Right? What in the world does this mean? for people who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this has been discussed for 2,000 years. I want to share two applications I believe we can find here. Number one, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are truly his child through faith in Jesus, that relationship is protected for all eternity by the power of God. So what is he saying here? If I want to fully experience the joy and the freedom of forgiveness in my own life as a child of God, if I want to have closeness of fellowship with my father as his child, I have to pass on this forgiveness that he has given me. Because if I don't, there's going to be a wall. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We don't want a wall of bitter unforgiveness interrupting our fellowship with our Father. What do we often say about children of earthly fathers? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 4.32 to 5.1. It's unfortunate there's a chapter break there. That was added later because it's one thought. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If I, I love that his eyes of forgiveness are locked on me through grace in, grace in Jesus Christ. Am I willing to pass that to those in my life? The second one is even more disturbing, and only God knows the truth of the matter, because I believe it is possible for a Christian to grieve the Holy Spirit and, and live in bitterness for a season. But the second one is the idea that the truly forgiven in Jesus Christ will be those who forgive others. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I'm saying if my life is characterized by bitter unforgiveness, and that's the trajectory of my life, I have to get down on my knees and say, Father, show me. Am I truly your child or not? Or did I just go through some ritual and say some words because I'm sure not living like you? Show me if I'm truly a son or daughter of yours through faith in Jesus Christ or if it's a sham in my life. I don't know. The Father knows. I want to pray for, for only my Father's ears. Third point, I want to fast, only to better focus on my Father. 
not like this. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You, you can almost see them walking around, oh, oh my. And then they hear somebody pointing, that guy's so godly. And inside they're going, yes, yes. Today they might set up a lunch appointment with someone while they're fasting just so they can sit across the table and the other person says, aren't you eating? Oh, no. I'm fasting. <laughs> that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus says if that's what you're after and that's what you get, that's all you get. That's your reward. So, so what's the proper way? He says like this. When you fast, anoint your head. And wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's the purpose of our fasting to focus better on the Father, whether it's confession or we're weighing through a heavy decision. And what are we focused on when we're fasting? Like it, if it's only the hunger and if it's especially to tell other people that that's what we're up to, we're missing the point. But if it's to focus on our Father and His heart, to, to shut out some of the worldly influences that, that are drowning his voice. We're reflecting what Jesus said to focus on the Father. As we look at these three areas of life, Jesus says when you do these things, he assumes they're going to be part of the, the life of his followers, right? But as we do them going into this new year, I don't know about you, but I want to live consumed with my Father's eyes above everything else. Maybe this time of year you think of the words of Joshua in 2415, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of us want that this year? I want to close for some encouragement for those of us who find, find ourselves with that desire. Number one, we don't do it alone. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we don't do it alone. We have Jesus himself couple things about Jesus. He did it before. You remember he's reaching out to the Samaritan woman and his guys thought he must be starving because he hadn't eaten for a while. John 4, 33, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're like me and you probably, you love food. If you're like me on Sundays, I'm talking to Carolyn Saturday night about what are we going to have for lunch after church? It's like, <laughs> I love food. The disciples did too. And they, how can Jesus be living without food right now? But what does Jesus say to them? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The way you and I sometimes feel about loving food, he'd love to do his father's work. He did it before, but it gets even better. He does it within the life of the believer as we live by faith in him and choose to obey. Galatians 5.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He sent the Holy Spirit, whose mission is to glorify the Son and the Father, and he put him in you and me, believer, so that as we walk in the Spirit, full of the Spirit, 
we find ourselves living for the Father's eyes and glory alone. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We also have the body of Christ, the church. We're not called to, to walk this walk alone. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Why? So you don't get on the naughty list with the pastor? No, I don't see that here. What's the purpose of gathering together according to Hebrews? But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need the body of Christ as we walk towards that day. And I think about that. I think about my friend Rick Wooten. Some of you guys know him. He ran cross country years ago in high school. And he said when he ran cross country, they'd run in a pack of seven. They would run the whole race together. But then if one of them would fall back, the group of them would decide who was going to be sent back with them. And another one would go back with them to encourage them and say, you got this. Let's, let's catch up with the group and keep on running. He told me that. I said, that's a great metaphor for church, Rick. Because you and I, as we walk through this fallen world, there's times where we fall back. And you don't want to be alone when that happens. I don't want to be alone when that happens. There's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church. But I also want to give you some more encouragement about this Father who sees. Because I think as we're encouraged, it will motivate us to live for him. A couple things. This Father is watching with great care and interest in the lives of his children. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Do you know that, believer, whatever you're walking through today? Not only that, he's been watching and planning in love before you were even born. Psalm 139, 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Another one, he is watching to lead and guide us through all the twists and turns of life. Who's that one of those twists and turns? Which way do I go? What does he say here in Psalm 32, 8? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And last but not least, he is watching to strengthen. You say, strengthen who? Listen to what's said in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I hope that encourages you. I want to talk a little bit more about the reward that keeps coming up in here. This, this reward from the Father. Some of us are saying, what is this reward from this, the Father? Because Jesus doesn't specify. Maybe that's frustrating to some of us. And while I do believe in rewards for the believer who lives faithfully in the power of the Holy Spirit for God's glory, I also believe this. The highest reward is God himself. Don't miss that. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Does that describe us today? If so, listen, it's not only that, that he's focused on us. It's that we're also focused on him through eyes of faith. And I want to close with this. We think about living with the Father in our focus. I, I think about a, a gift from God that happened in our home just this morning for this sermon, I believe. I, I went to bed early. As soon as the Buckeyes lost, we drove home. <laughs> Not because of that only, because I had to preach at 8.30. But I didn't want to ponder it any longer either. But we drove home from my brother's house, and, and my wife and our boys and, and some cousins stayed up till midnight. I was in, in the bed in there, and, and I could hear at midnight when the fireworks went off outside, and I could hear the, the jubilee out there, and, and I was thinking about it. I went to sleep. This morning, I woke up, and this might not always have hit me so hard. I was a little bit tired because I got less sleep than usual, but I opened the fridge, and I saw a bottle of sparkling grape juice on the, the top shelf with a three-by-five card with a child's handwriting on it. <laughs> said, Happy New Year, Dad. We cracked this open last night. Hope your sermon goes well. Love, Evan. And the tears just hit me. I was out of sight as the father last night, but I wasn't out of mind for that crew, and that blessed my heart so much. Bless my heart so much. And here's the thing about it. It wasn't ostentatious. It wasn't flamboyant. It wasn't over the top. He didn't post it on Facebook to tell everybody what he did for a dad. No one outside of our house would even know about it if I hadn't told you this morning. But I can't tell you how much that blessed my heart to know they were out there thinking about me. And I think about that. I don't know about you. But this year of 2023, I want to bless my Heavenly Father's heart the same way. Whether we're serving, giving, praying, fasting. If this church we call it, live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride. Whatever it is we find ourselves doing, may we do it consumed with his eyes and his glory. Lord, I thank you for these words from Jesus. I thank you that he refused to settle for hollow outward show. He's, he's after the real thing, real righteousness. And I thank you that he didn't just preach it and say, now, good luck, go do it. He, he came and died and rose again, that those who put their faith in him might receive your righteousness within us in Christ. He is our righteousness, not only our eternity in heaven, but relationship with the Father and the ability in Him, in the Holy Spirit, to live from the inside out for your eyes. I pray that each one in this room has found that righteousness in Christ. If not this year, may it be the year. Now is the day of salvation. Draw them to the cross where He died for our sins. Draw them to the empty tomb where He rose again. Draw them to faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that this year, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the risen Christ, together with our brothers and sisters, we would live flat out, consumed for our Father's glory. Even as we give our offerings today, I pray that it would come from those hearts that are just filled with gratitude, 
for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.